भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय नारायणम नमस्कृत धनम चाव नरोम देवी सरस्वती व्यास श्रीमद्भागवतम Is it text twenty-four today? Okay, this is second canto, chapter ten. Bhagavatam is the answer to all questions, and text today is twenty-four. I'll read the Sanskrit out loud, quarter of a line at a time, and please respond as you wish. Hastau ruruhutas tasya. Nana karma chikirshaya, tayostu balavan indra, adanam ubayashrayam, hastau ruhatas tasya, nana karma chikirshaya. Tayostu balavan indra, adanam ubayashrayam. And now let's have a couple of chants. Hastau ruhatas tasya, nana karma chikirshaya. Chayostu Bhagavan Indra, Adanam Ubayashayam, Adanam Ubayashayam. Vaishnavis, Hastau Rudrutus Tasya, Nana Karma Chakirshaya, Chayostu Bhagavan Indra, Adanam. Hastau, the hands, Ruru Hatu, manifested, Tasya, his, Nana, various, Karma, work, Chikir Shaya, being so desirous, Tayo, of them, too, however, Balavan. To give strength, Indra, the demigod in heaven, Aranam, activities of the hand, Ubaya Ashrayam, dependent on both the demigod and the hand. Translation: Thereafter, when the supreme person desired to perform varieties of work, the two hands and their controlling strength, and Indra. The demigod in heaven became manifested, as also the acts dependent on both the hands and the demigod. 
purport by divine grace Shiva Prabhupada. In every item we can note with profit that the sense organs of the living entity are never independent at any stage. The Lord is known as the Lord of the senses, Trishi Kesha. Thus the sense organs of the living entities are manifested by the will of the Lord, and each organ is controlled by a certain type of demigod. No one, therefore, can claim any proprietorship of the senses. The living entity is controlled by the senses. The senses are controlled by the demigods, and the demigods are the servants of the Supreme Lord. This is the arrangement in the system of creation. The whole thing is controlled, ultimately, by the Supreme Lord, and there is no independence, either of the material nature or of the living entity. The illusioned living entity who claims to be the Lord of his senses is under the clutches of the external energy of the Lord. As long as a living entity continues to be puffed up by his tiny existence, he is to be understood to be under the stringent control of the external energy of the Lord, and there is no question of liberation from the clutches of illusion, maya however much one may declare himself a liberated soul. Om Ajnana Timidam Nasya Jananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Nina Tasmani Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Amano Vishtam Stapitam Nyena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Dati Swapadantikam Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uta Padakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajata Sahadana Raghunatham Bitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadhutam Rijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Pada Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishaka Vikamascha He Krishna Karuna Sindo Dina Bando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tata Kanchana Gauranti Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamani Hari Priye Vancha Bhopadrubhyascha Kripa Sandhubhya Evacha Patitanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavikyo Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara, Shivasari Gaura Bhakta Vrinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Now we may note with profit, Shiva Prabhupada said, that the sense organs of the living in it are never independent at any stage. We get such extensive information in the Srimad Bhagavatam about our interdependent relationship with the demigods 
and our absolute control, merciful control of, by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And the story of creation is intricately laid out here to show these relationships as many religious uh, scriptures teach uh, God is the origin of everything. But the details of how he interacts with his external creation or doesn't is uh, laid out partially in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna mentions that a living entity is working by his own independent nature in combination with matter. And the Lord's not assuming any of his sinful or pious activities. However, the ways in which the senses are controlled and how they're manifested in the world comes to light here in this chapter. That the will of the Supreme to work in a particular way then gives rise to the particular sense. And there's also a way in which there's a controlling demigod that oversees the operation of each one of the senses. And the Supreme Lord in the hierarchy is above all in an overarching sense controlling all of them. Therefore, he's known as Rishikesh. We've heard about hierarchies in the Bhagavad Gita that are helpful. For instance, at the end of the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Indriyani Pranyahur Indriyabhya Paramanaha Manasastu Prabhudas Yahu that the lowest of all in our context is the senses. Above the senses is the mind, above the mind is the intellect, and above the intellect is the Supreme Lord. And how is this helpful to know these hierarchies? He says at the last verse, If we understand the hierarchy, and we know that we can fortify our intellect, evam buddhi parambudva, samstabhyapanamatmana, and we can understand that we're above even the intellect, and we can then understand that, that it is folly to be controlled by the senses alone, then uh, we can rise above the force, kama, which holds us to the material world, which is inherent in our birth in this world. As Kapiladev describes in the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, when the soul is within the womb, a fortunate soul becomes directly aware of his existential situation and thinks, how did I get here again? It's by ignorance that last time I was here in a womb, then I promised the Lord that I would serve him, use my senses in his service. But then Kapiladev says, such a well-intentioned soul with full clarity 
even praying that maybe I should stay here in the womb instead of coming out, knowing how attractive the material energy is. Still, when he's pushed out of the birth channel into the material world, there's a direct connection between the senses and their sense objects. In fact, as the Hamsa Avatar explains in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the senses are embedded with their objects, and the objects of the senses are embedded with the senses. So it's no wonder that when the soul comes out into the glare of the material energy, there's an immediate connection between the senses of that little entity and the great powerful forces of the material world. That is, the, the sense objects. In other words, they're connected. So the project of most yoga processes to extricate oneself from the control of the senses and rise above it to understand one's nature beyond the force of lust and anger and the, the lower qualities. And by mechanical means, one may stay the senses for some time, but as we know from examples given by our acharyas like Vishwamrita Muni, who could be more rigid in his practice of controlling the senses of over thousands of years. Even he succumbed to the senses when he heard some ankle bells in Menaka. He didn't even open his eyes, he just heard the bells because there's an innate relationship between my senses and the sense objects in the material world. And therefore, I just get a little reminder that's all it takes. That's why people advertise show you a picture and then they give you a little mantra to go with it. So every time you hear the mantra, you say, oh, I need some of that. Therefore, this information, accompanied by the wisdom of Sugadeva Goswami about how one can purify the senses, senses are real and we're real but now my senses are misaligned and the process that Shukadeva Goswami is teaching is to purify the senses by engaging them properly the 11, in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam Chamasarishi describes a gradual process through which a living entity becomes aware of his relationship with the material world and then redirects his attention to the Supreme Lord. As an example, he says, Mukhubahurupave Vyapurushasya Shamashrahai, Chatvaro Jagmine Varna, Gunar Dipradayo Pratak. And that is that the imaginary universal form of the Lord, which is something that Shukadeva Goswami points out to Parikshit Maharaj early on in the Srimad Bhagavatam is continuing to do so in this chapter. It's a representative of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And each part of the universal form, muku, muku, uh, that the face, the, the feet, the 
midsection, the belly, and so forth. These form the different ashrams, varnas, and ashrams. The varnashram system, he says, emanates from the body of the Lord because the souls conditioned by the material nature have a way that they're inclined to work. And when they work under the protection of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, albeit slightly indirectly, still they're working in such a way, using their senses to ultimately please the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's not so direct in the Varnashram system, but it's maybe analogous with it. If you follow the laws here in London by stopping at green light, uh, stopping at red lights, um, that's in America. Um, then maybe you'll please the king. It's slightly indirect. I don't think he'd mind if you did that. <laughs> and then he said, Yaesham Purusam Sakshat, Atma Prabhava Nishwaram, Nabajanti Avijananti, Stana Brashta Padantyada. That if somebody misses this opportunity and knows about the connection between our senses and the universal form of the Lord and how they're manifested and how they're meant to be engaged in a natural way or directly uh, denies the Lord offensively, then such a such a person will fall down from his position in the material world and become hapless and under the control of the senses. So the Varnashrama manifest from the body of the Supreme Lord, Mukabahuru Padebya Purushashyashamaishaha, Chatvaro Jagmire Varna, Luna Viparatayo Pritak, Yaesham Purusham Sakshat, Atma Prabhava Nishwaram, Nabajantya Vijanati, Stana Brashta Padantyada. One becomes brashta or fallen if one doesn't have a connection with the uh, conception of using the senses somehow under the shelter of the uh, Supreme Personality of Godhead. So then we have the process of bhakti yoga through which one can understand one's symbiotic relationship with the demigods. Uh, we're dependent on them and they are dependent on us. Well, how are they dependent on us as described in the Bhagavad Gita? Chapter four, chapter three, Karma Yoga, in which the Lord explains that the demigods <clears throat> depend on our sacrifice, and then we depend on their bountiful presentations that allow us to live in the harsh material atmosphere. And there's a, a wheel, he said, of reciprocation between the demigods and the, the living entities in this world. Then, uh, beyond this, Krishna begins to explain that I'm the Lord of all the demigods. And this is an inquiry by Arjuna in the eighth chapter of the Gita, Kintad Brahma Kimadhyatma Kim Karma Purushottama Adidaivam Kim Proktam Adidaivam Kimuchite. He wants to know what's our relationship 
with, uh, with the devas and so forth, and uh, with karma, and the, the whole morass of the, of the material world. And who is the Lord of sacrifice within the body? So then Krishna explicates that in the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, giving us clarity and bringing us to the ninth chapter of the ultimate point, which is that uh, one can engage in devotional service by which we directly engage our senses in the service of the Supreme Personality of God. For instance, Patram Pushpam Param Toyam, Yomi Bhakti Aparyachati, Param Bhakti Paritam Ashnami Paritatmanaha. Indirectly, he describes earlier that if uh, we become aware of the fact that we are separate from the, the senses, which are under the control of the devas, we can see that they're going on by higher control, that we have nothing to do with the process. And then he explains how one can do that by, <coughs> pardon me, reviving one's intention. For instance, in the fifth chapter of the Gita, sorry, I'm kind of rambling around. I'll get to the point in a minute. He says, that a person who's come to be aware of the fact that he or she is separate from the material body and sees that um, I'm not doing anything, and, and there's nothing, kinship, not anything that I'm doing. It's all going on by the higher control of the devas, and my senses are. Uh, not mine either. They're the, a rental rental system. I, I have it on lease. And in fact, I didn't even have a lease agreement. I just know that they're being loaned to me. And uh, so, such a person is uh, in a he says in a divine consciousness. And what precipitates that divine consciousness says in the next verse: Brahmanyadaya karmani sangam chapa kurotiya lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa. So the person becomes aware of the, the fact that uh, the Supreme is the controller. The Supreme Lord is the controller. This is doable. I'm mentioning something that's doable right now, which is to become aware that one's not the controller. In fact, I met a priest once, and we had a long conversation in the airport over the suggested purchase of a Bhagavad Gita. And he said, well, listen, you know, I've been a priest for 30 years now. And he said, actually, there's only two things that I know for sure. There is a God, and I'm not him. <laughs> and when one comes to this realization, there's a sense of that I'm not the proprietor, and that one may adjust one's intentions and motives for working. And that's what this verse is about. Brahmanyadaya karmani sangam chakva, sangam takva karotiya. That a person, while working with the senses, thinks that the these are not my senses, nor are the ingredients that I'm manipulating uh, mine. And therefore, the results also I cannot claim, which is a quintessential teaching of the Bhagavad Gita. So then, it says that that person lives in the world without being, uh, and here comes a great word, besmirched by the, the modes of material nature. You don't, they don't get their smear on you. Uh, you can work in the world in an enlightened way without being implicated by the modes because you've changed your intention from within the heart. And you're saying that whatever I'm doing is an offering to the Supreme Personality of God. And Krishna therefore says, 
Padma Patram Ivambasa. You, you're like that leaf of the lotus that's in the water, even maybe half submerged, but it's impervious to the water. The water beats off and it never adheres. And therefore, we can live like that also when we have clarity of purpose born of this knowledge of our relationship with the material world, which the Vedas summarized by saying, Sangam Kyayam Purusha, that the living entity has no real connection with the material world. It's, it's all imagined. So that brings us to the direct process that's applicable to all of us through which uh, we become uh, aware of our uh, senses and how they can be used in the service of Krishna. Sarvapati vanir muktam taprat vainanir malam rishi kena rishi kesha sevanam bhaktir uchite. So this is the bhakti process to engage the senses in the service of Krishna. One may notice with profit that by engaging the senses in a worldly fashion, meaning that I want the results and I'm trying to enjoy something from the material world, the sparsha, the touch between the senses and the material world, this is where I derive my pleasure. Krishna says, this is foolhardy. Such an interaction of the senses of the material world for the purpose of the titillation of the senses that I get some enjoyment out of it. He said, this is what's causing your misery, actually. So that's good to know, right? Say yes. Yes. So then... <laughs> The devotee also simultaneously becomes aware of the fact that Krishna is the soul of my soul. Atmanam akilatmanam. So as much as I'm trying to satisfy myself, which is mistakenly, I take my body to be myself because I'm in the body and therefore I project myself. Make a sangha with the body because I'm, I'm thinking that here I am. And the sense of I am is so powerful and that sense not just of preservation but trying to enjoy something is quite natural because it comes from the Supreme but it's misplaced when the living entity then thinks I am my body. So then there's a way in which uh, Shukadeva Goswami then goes to great lengths to explain how our self is part of the Supreme Self. This is key. Because I'm an Atma, and therefore uh, I have consciousness. when I realize that I'm part of the whole, Atmana Akilatmanam, Krishna is the soul of my soul. How much more so will I be eager to serve uh, the real self of myself? This is what he says. 
And this revelation then uh, brings one to the full permission to use the senses based on clear knowledge that it's in my self-interest. It's not my self-interest to merely serve the body, bodily senses or to claim that I am my body or to claim any of the resources in the material world to be mine. Uh, one has to understand that, that this is uh, the source of my entanglement Ishavasamidam sarvam, etc. Kurvani viha karmani, etc. So then, then uh, one develops this uh, sense which gives uh, an immediate um, r- relief to the soul, which is that instead of serving my senses, I'll serve Krishna's senses. And therefore, uh, in a beautiful prayer, the devotee says, Kamadinam katina patida palita durni desha esham jatamayina karana natrata no pashanti utridaitana tayara pate samprata lavdaburi tamayanam sharanam abayam mamniyam shvatma dasye. I'll do it again in a second, get it right. He says, Kamadinam katina katita palita durni deshas. There's a sense that for how long have I served the bad masters of my senses? They never gave me any time off. They never gave me mercy. I never really got the promise, the satisfaction. Prahlad Maharaj says, Where is that happiness that they're promising? Everybody's promising in the material world. He said, where is it? Is shruti sukham. You hear about it, but you never get it. Like going to somebody's house and they say they're going to feed you, and then they just bring you like one little carrot, and then the rest is supposed to come out, but it never comes. And you're like, should I say something, or should I just sit here? So the poor soul in the material world is like, yeah, we'll, we'll get it to you soon. And it just never comes. And then, then there's a revelation through the Bhagavatam that actually, uh, no more. No more of this, but one has to have a place to turn. Otherwise, we turn to nihilism and say there is no soul, there is no anything. And what is it? I get my intelligence back to Evam Bodhi Parambudva. My intelligence becomes fully enlivened because now I know that Krishna is the soul of my soul. And he is the surit, the best friend. And what's more, He's the, the source of everything. And so when I serve him, I'm naturally satisfied. Beyond satisfied, I'm ecstatic uh, and happy in that engagement. And therefore, he says, no mas. That's it. I'm finished. I'm finished serving you guys so long. Good luck, but I'm out of here. You don't have to stay here, but you can't. Stay. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, for the senses, I'm, I'm out. Obama out. And so... There's a, there is a great relief, and the, the devotee then says, now I'm changing my allegiance from serving my senses and uh, trying so hard here. I'll just serve Krishna's senses. Therefore, you see, like, how would a devotee live in a temple, sleep on the floor, get up early in the morning and come serve the Lord? It's because they're feeling this direct satisfaction by... Uh, directly engaging in serving the senses of the Lord, who's the soul of our soul. And the, there's unlimited sense of satisfaction. 
And one last point, um, is, and that is that the demigods here in the material world are representatives of the devas in the spiritual world. And Brahma in his prayers that he offers in the 10th canto, 14th chapter, says at text 33, that the residents of Vrindavan are the cups, the senses of the residents of Vrindavan are the cups through which the devas uh, drink the ecstasy of their ex uh, exchange with uh, Krishna. For instance, because you see we have the symbiotic relationship with the devas, and therefore when we're engaging in pure devotional service, then there's a way in which the devas are also experiencing this uh, spiritual stimulation. And Brahma says about the residents of Vrindavan, they're the cups through which they're drinking in the nectar of uh, Krishna's beauty, and they specifically mention that they can hear his ankle bells through the residents of Vrindavan. And unlike the ankle bells of Menaka, which distracted the meditating sage, the, the ankle bells of Krishna, and, and everything about him yeah, is uh, engaging the senses in their proper way, in such a way that the soul feels completely happy. So we hear of the symbiotic relationship, Brahma says, uh, with the residents of Vrindavan. And similarly, when we engage in material activities, it's also a, a strain on the, our counterpart demigods uh, in this material world. And now I will stop my rambling and ask for a few reflections and questions. Yes. Angani yasa sakalendri avritti manti, pashyanti panti, kalayanti chidam jiganti, ananda chinmaya sajuj vigrahasya govindamadi purushantamaham majani. Brahma has described how the senses of Krishna are interchangeable. He can speak with his eyes, as he does in the pastime of the forest fire in Vrindavan. He speaks to the coward boys through his eyes. And his senses are unlimited. He's uh, universally dimensional, not one dimensional, two dimensional, three dimensional, even four, but universally dimensional. So his senses are everywhere, as confirmed also in the 13th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Sargopati. His senses and his awareness is everywhere. He's omniscient through his senses. Every atom, every corner of the universe, he sees the world uh, even through our senses. That's a nice meditation, too, when you're doing something. You just imagine. It's like, I wonder if Krishna's watching me. Are you kidding me? These are also <laughs> part of his senses. <laughs> he's, he's fully aware of what I'm doing right now, even thinking. It's like, okay, I think I'll... Uh, 
reform myself, like right now. And when there's an awareness of the fact that Krishna's senses are universal and that the, he's uh, fully aware, I'm just a part of him. So he knows his, he's fully aware through his uh, unlimited senses of what I'm doing at all times. That's important. And uh, all of his senses are... Uh, he also engages his senses in uh, pleasurable activities. He uh, enjoys seeing his devotees in Vrindavan and interacting with the um, various uh, transcendental paraphernalia that he has. He plays a flute. You have to use your senses for that, right? Om Tatsat. Another? Yes. Hare Krishna. When there are challenges in our life, when we have challenges in our life, when we have challenges in our life, it's more easy to remember Krishna at that time. So my question is, uh, when uh, we have um, some kind of some kind of small or big uh, name fame, uh, when we have some kind of small name fame, um, yeah, just riches and everything, riches, followers. followers. How to take shelter of Krishna at that time? What's the remedy? Well, Prabhupada, when he was asked about his followers, he said that, actually, they're my masters because I'm serving them. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta said a similar thing about his followers and disciples because his guru told him, don't take any disciples. Also, don't move to Calcutta. <laughs> they moved to Calcutta. Apparently, he took disciples. And when asked about that, he said, no, I never took any disciples. Because they're all my masters. I'm simply serving them, bringing them to Krishna consciousness. And I never lived in Calcutta. I've, I'm always within the Dom, because he just transferred the Dom there created various embassies for the Dom. So we have to see reality, re remember who we actually are, that although I may see various gains in my life, could also keep in mind that all that I get in this world is beyond my power to achieve. And that it's unseemly to claim it as mine. Uh, a gentle person doesn't uh, claim anything in this world, but, but claims that actually it all comes from Krishna. So you can experiment with that by just uh, offering whatever you get in Krishna's service and not claiming proprietorship over it. How to do it? Well, just do it. Which is one of the main points of understanding things as they are. Because if I do, 
I can understand also, as soon as I claim something to be mine, then it sticks to me. And then you're responsible for it. And that's no fun either. Jayato Visham Pumsam Sangasteshu Vijayate, Krishna says, as I said earlier. You look at something with an idea that I'm going to make this mine. That's mine. Okay, you can try that out. But it's not going to end well. Because this idea of something is mine is like, okay, when it breaks, then it's also yours too. Right? <laughs> so a smart person, Krishna says, that doesn't claim any proprietorship for any material, except what's set aside as his quota. Uh, something set aside as my quota. I'll use that. Quota means that I understand it's mine to use in Krishna's service. And uh, it's important. And one of the successful members of the Gaudiamat had developed a really vibrant community and was doing really well. And others became a little suspicious, perhaps out of a sense of transcendental envy, that why is he doing so well? Maybe he's a cheater, maybe he's just attached. So they went to Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and told him, they complained, they said, I think he's just attached. And plus, you know, he's just a good businessman anyway, and that's why he's getting all the success. And so Srila Bhakti Siddhanta called this devotee and into the assembly of complainers and said, I'm reassigning you, effective immediately. I'm putting you in another mud somewhere else. In fact, it's, it's a pioneering project. You're going to have to start over. He said, yes, Guru Maharaj, right away. Where am I going? He said, oh, you could stay here. <laughs> he was testing his motivation and also demonstrating to the others and if we remember that our perfect alignment is an understanding that I'm the servant here we do well as servants we really do we really do well as servants as soon as I become the servant and ask the question how may I be of service then I feel properly aligned and as soon as the errant idea that maybe I'm the master and why, is it, why aren't people serving me hard enough comes into my mind, then I start to feel anxiety. So we can become aware of that and then test it out. And then we'll notice by changing the frequency back and forth, which, which seems better aligned. And as it turns out, every time, you always win by being the servant and keeping a humble attitude. And we have 30 seconds left. So we'll take one last reflection question which I'll answer in less than 15 seconds <laughs> or your money back from today's class Yeah, well, we should deviate. That helps. 
and there is direction. Therefore, Vyasadeva says in the Vedanta Sutra that all of the Shastras are written for us. If one claims, as some do, that I have no agency, I can't really make any change because I'm a servant of fate. And how would I possibly get out of this whole situation because it's beyond my control? Vyasadeva begs to differ. He points out in a logical way that the Shastras all tell us to act in certain ways to elevate ourselves, either in the material world to heaven through karmakanda, or he says to elevate ourselves beyond the material world, back home, back to Godhead. He points out, who are the Shastras speaking to? He says, to us. Then he says, if we didn't have the agency to take up these instructions and improve ourselves, then the Shastra has no meaning. Who else are they speaking to? And that way, ties a little ribbon and gives us that gift and says, you are responsible, follow the direction of the Shastra and you'll be free. There's lots to choose from. If you're totally attached and in the mode of ignorance, there are Shastras that tell you to regulate your ignorance by killing a goat, right? Dark moon night, whisper in its ear, excuse me, little fellow, but next life you can chop my head off too. There's a, a wide project throughout the Vedas, something for everybody. In Kali Yuga, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is mercifully given a very direct process for devotional service through which even the most lowly can fulfill all their desires, material and spiritual, just by the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. Kalim Sabajayantyan Yarya Gunagya Sarabhagina Yatra Sankirtane Naiva Sarvaswartopilavite. So, anyway, I could have given a 15 second answer. And that is that we have clear direction. We do have the wherewithal at any time to surrender. Last thing I'll say, Prabhupada mentioned in regard to Sarva Dharman Paritya Didn't Krishna give a statement at the end of the Bhagavad Gita that if you surrender to me, I'll deliver you from all sinful reaction? Did he say, Masu Chaha? Don't worry about a thing. I'll take care of everything. Did he say it or not? Yes. Yeah. So Jiva Goswami says the devotees remember this constantly because Krishna offered it and they know that Krishna is good for it. If a man comes in here and sets up a little table and says, opens a briefcase, says, you line up here, I'll take care of all your affairs. Would you, would you take it? Uh, yes. Yeah, but then you might think like, yeah, but... First of all, what if he goes broke doing this? What if it's a scam? What if uh, you know, the guy's crazy? <laughs> so many things you think. But then Prabhupada said, but the Supreme Personality of Godhead, you know he's good for it. So therefore, he says something remarkable in that Sarvadharma Purijaja purport. that at any time, you can take it. And then he says, just like the man comes and he has a bag of money, and he says, here, take this. So you're poor, right? No, not you guys are poor, but one of the person in the example is poor. says, here, take the money. So you have two choices. Choice number one. Take it. Choice number two. Don't take 
That's right, two choices. So those are choices in life. Krishna says, Sarvadharma Vritya just take it, and I'll deliver you from all sinful action. And that's what makes life exciting, is looking at those two choices, and we're always thinking, like, am I going to take it or not take it? And then Prabhupada said, there's a replacement for all the four sinful activities. One of them is gambling. Not that that many people break that regular principle very often. 5% of the population knowingly or unknowingly are addicted to gambling. So in any case, a gambling can become an addiction. He said you can replace that one with surrender to Krishna. Because then you just like, okay, guess what, honey? We're getting rid of the TV. We're going to surrender to Krishna. We're moving in an ashram. It's like, whoa, my God. <laughs> That's like gambling your whole life. Let's, let's see what happens. And when we surrender to Krishna and just fully dedicate our senses to him, then life becomes a great adventure. So we can do that, right? Yes. Say yes. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrindi ki jai, Rancha Kalpada Vrishya, Kripa Sanave Vacha Patitanam Havani Vyo, Vaishnavi Vyo, Namona Mahananta Kodi Vaishnavi ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai,